Section 17 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amanda Friday. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 3, Section 17. Excerpts from Mansfield Park by Jane Austen Family Training from Mansfield Park As her, Fanny Price's, appearance and spirits improved, Sir Thomas and Mrs. Norris thought with greater satisfaction of their benevolent plan, and it was pretty soon decided between them that, though far from clever, she showed a tractable disposition, and seemed likely to give them little trouble. A mean opinion of her abilities was not confined to them. Fanny could read, work, and write, but she had been taught nothing more, and as her cousins found her ignorant of many things with which they had been long familiar, they thought her prodigiously stupid, and for the first two or three weeks were continually bringing some fresh report of it into the drawing-room. "'Dear Mamma, only think! My cousin cannot put the map of Europe together!' Or, "'My cousin cannot tell the principal rivers in Russia!' Or, she never heard of Asia Minor. Or, she does not know the difference between watercolours and crayons. How strange! Did you ever hear anything so stupid? My dear, their aunt would reply, it is very bad, but you must not expect everybody to be as quick at learning as yourself. But, aunt, she is really so very ignorant. Do you know, we asked her last night which way she would go to get to Ireland and she said she would cross to the Isle of Wight. She thinks of nothing but the Isle of Wight, and she calls it the island, as if there were no other island in the world. I am sure I should have been ashamed of myself if I had not known better long before I was so old as she is. I cannot remember the time when I did not know a great deal that she has not the least notion of yet. How long ago it is, aunt, since we used to repeat the chronological order of the kings of England, with the dates of their accession, and most of the principal events of their reigns. Yes, added the other, and of the Roman emperors, as low as Severus, besides a great deal of the heathen mythology, and all the metals, semi-metals, planets, and distinguished philosophers. Very true, indeed, my dears, but you are blessed with wonderful memories, and your poor cousin has probably none at all. There is a vast deal of difference in memories, as well as in everything else, and therefore you must make allowance for your cousin, and pity her deficiency. And remember that if you are ever so forward and clever yourselves, you should always be modest, for, much as you know already, there is a great deal more for you to learn. Yes, I know there is, till I am seventeen, but I must tell you another thing of Fanny, so odd and so stupid. Do you know, she says she does not want to learn either music or drawing? To be sure, my dear, that is very stupid indeed, and shows a great want of genius and emulation. But, all things considered, I do not know whether it is not as well that it should be so. For though you know, owing to me, your papa and mamma are so good as to bring her up with you, it is not at all necessary that she should be as accomplished as you are. On the contrary, it is much more desirable that there should be a difference. Such were the counsels by which Mrs. Norris assisted to form her niece's minds, and it is not very wonderful that, with all their promising talents and early information, 
they should be entirely deficient in the less common acquirements of self-knowledge, generosity, and humility. In everything but disposition, they were admirably taught. Sir Thomas did not know what was wanting, because, though a truly anxious father, he was not outwardly affectionate, and the reserve of his manner repressed all the flow of their spirits before him. Private Theatricals From Mansfield Park Fanny looked on and listened, not unamused to observe the selfishness which, more or less disguised, seemed to govern them all, and wondering how it would end. Three of the characters were now cast, besides Mr. Rushworth, who was always answered for by Maria as willing to do anything. When Julia, meaning, like her sister, to be Agatha, began to be scrupulous on Miss Crawford's account. "'This is not behaving well by the absent,' said she. "'Here are not women enough. Amelia and Agatha may do for Maria and me, but there is nothing for your sister, Mr. Crawford.' Mr. Crawford desired that might not be thought of. He was very sure his sister had no wish of acting, but as she might be useful, and that she would not allow herself to be considered in the present case. But this was immediately opposed by Tom Bertram, who asserted the part of Amelia to be in every respect the property of Miss Crawford, if she would accept it. "'It falls as naturally as necessarily to her,' said he, "'as Agatha does to one or other of my sisters. It can be no sacrifice on their side, for it is highly comic.' A short silence followed. Each sister looked anxious, for each felt the best claim to Agatha, and was hoping to have it pressed on her by the rest. Henry Crawford, who, meanwhile, had taken up the play, and with seeming carelessness was turning over the first act, soon settled the business. "'I must entreat Miss Julia, Bertram,' said he, "'not to engage in the part of Agatha, or it will be the ruin of all my solemnity. You must not, indeed, you must not,' turning to her, "'I could not stand your countenance dressed up in woe and paleness. The many laughs we have had together would infallibly come across me, and Frederick and his knapsack would be obliged to run away.' Pleasantly, courteously, it was spoken, but the manner was lost in the matter to Julia's feelings. She saw a glance at Maria, which confirmed the injury to herself. It was a scheme, a trick. She was slighted. Maria was preferred. The smile of triumph which Maria was trying to suppress showed how well it was understood. And before Julia could command herself enough to speak, her brother gave his weight against her too by saying, "'Oh, yes, Maria must be Agatha.' Maria will be the best, Agatha. Though Julia fancies she prefers tragedy, I would not trust her in it. There is nothing of tragedy about her. She has not the look of it. Her features are not tragic features, and she walks too quick, and speaks too quick, and would not keep her countenance. She had better do the old countrywoman, the cottager's wife. You had indeed, Julia. Cottager's wife is a very pretty part, I assure you. The old lady relieves the high-flown benevolence of her husband with a good deal of spirit. You shall be the cottager's wife. "'Cottager's wife!' cried Mr. Yates. "'What are you talking of? The most trivial, paltry, insignificant part. The merest commonplace. Not a tolerable speech in the whole. Your sister do that. It is an insult to propose it. At Ecclesford the governess was to have done it. We all agreed that it could not be offered to anybody else.' "'A little more justice, Mr. Manager, if you please. "'You do not deserve the office "'if you cannot appreciate the talents of your company a little better. "'Why, as to that, my good friends, "'till I and my company have really acted, "'there must be some guesswork. "'But I mean no disparagement to Julia. "'We cannot have two Agathas, "'and we must have one cottager's wife. 
and I am sure I set her the example of moderation myself in being satisfied with the old butler. If the part is trifling, she will have more credit in making something of it, and if she is so desperately bent against everything humorous, let her take Cottager's speeches instead of Cottager's wife's, and so change the parts all through. He is solemn and pathetic enough, I am sure. It could make no difference in the play. And as for Cottager himself, when he has got his wife's speeches, I would undertake him with all my heart. With all your partiality for Cottager's wife, said Henry Crawford, it will be impossible to make anything of it fit for your sister, and we must not suffer her good nature to be imposed on. We must not allow her to accept the part. She must not be left to her own complacence. Her talents will be wanted in Amelia. Amelia is a character more difficult to be well represented than even Agatha. I consider Amelia as the most difficult character in the whole piece. It requires great powers, great nicety, to give her playfulness and simplicity without extravagance. I have seen good actresses fail in the part. Simplicity, indeed, is beyond the reach of almost every actress by profession. It requires a delicacy of feeling which they have not. It requires a gentlewoman, a Julia Bertram. You will undertake it, I hope. Turning to her with a look of anxious entreaty, which softened her a little. But while she hesitated what to say, her brother again interposed with Miss Crawford's better claim. No, no, Julia must not be Amelia. It is not at all the part for her. She would not like it. She would not do well. She is too tall and robust. Amelia should be a small, light, girlish, skipping figure. It is fit for Miss Crawford, and Miss Crawford only. She looks the part, and I am persuaded will do it admirably. Without attending to this, Henry Crawford continued his supplication. "'You must oblige us,' said he. "'Indeed you must. When you have studied the character, I am sure you will feel it suits you. Tragedy may be your choice, but it will certainly appear that comedy chooses you.' You will have to visit me in prison with a basket of provisions. You will not refuse to visit me in prison. I think I see you coming in with your basket. The influence of his voice was felt. Julia wavered. But was he only trying to soothe and pacify her, and make her overlook the previous affront? She distrusted him. The slight had been most determined. He was, perhaps, but at treacherous play with her. She looked suspiciously at her sister. Maria's countenance was to decide it if she were vexed and alarmed. But Maria looked all serenity and satisfaction, and Julia well knew that on this ground Maria could not be happy but at her expense. With hasty indignation, therefore, and a tremulous voice, she said to him, "'You do not seem afraid of not keeping your countenance when I come in with a basket of provisions, though one might have supposed. But it is only as Agatha that I was to be so overpowering.' She stopped. Henry Crawford looked rather foolish, and as if he did not know what to say— Tom Bertram began again. "'Miss Crawford must be Amelia. She will be an excellent Amelia. Do not be afraid of my wanting the character,' cried Julia, with angry quickness. "'I am not to be Agatha, and I am sure I will do nothing else. And as to Amelia, it is of all parts in the world the most disgusting to me. I quite detest her. An odious little, pert, unnatural, impudent girl. I have always protested against comedy, and this is comedy in its worst form.' and so saying, she walked hastily out of the room, leaving awkward feelings to more than one, but exciting small compassion in any except Fanny, who had been a quiet auditor of the whole, and who could not think of her as under the agitations of jealousy without great pity. The inattention of the two brothers and the aunt to Julia's discomposure, and their blindness to its true cause, 
must be imputed to the fullness of their own minds. They were totally preoccupied. Tom was engrossed by the concerns of his theatre, and saw nothing that did not immediately relate to it. Edmund, between his theatrical and his real part, between Miss Crawford's claims and his own conduct, between love and consistency, was equally unobservant, and Mrs. Norris was too busy in contriving and directing the general little matters of the company, superintending their various dresses with economical expedients, for which nobody thanked her, and saving, with delighted integrity, half a crown here and there to the absent Sir Thomas, to have leisure for watching the behaviour, or guarding the happiness, of his daughters. Fruitless Regrets and Apples of Sodom From Mansfield Park These were the circumstances and the hopes which gradually brought their alleviation to Sir Thomas, deadening his sense of what was lost, and in part reconciling him to himself, though the anguish arising from the conviction of his own errors in the education of his daughters was never to be entirely done away. Too late he became aware how unfavorable to the character of any young people must be the totally opposite treatment which Maria and Julia had been always experiencing at home, where the excessive indulgence and flattery of their aunt had been continually contrasted with his own severity. He saw how ill he had judged in expecting to counteract what was wrong in Mrs. Norris by its reverse in himself, clearly saw that he had but increased the evil by teaching them to repress their spirits in his presence so as to make their real disposition unknown to him, and sending them for all their indulgences to a person who had been able to attach them only by the blindness of her affection and the excess of her praise. Here had been grievous mismanagement, but, bad as it was, he gradually grew to feel that it had not been the most direful mistake in his plan of education. Something must have been wanting within, or time would have worn away much of its ill effect. He feared that principle, active principle, had been wanting, that they had never been properly taught to govern their inclinations and tempers by that sense of duty which can alone suffice. They had been instructed theoretically in their religion, but never required to bring it into daily practice. To be distinguished for elegance and accomplishments, the authorized object of their youth, could have had no useful influence that way, no moral effect on the mind. He had meant them to be good, but his cares had been directed to the understanding and manners, not the disposition and of the necessity of self-denial and humility, he feared they had never heard from any lips that could profit them. Bitterly did he deplore a deficiency which now he could scarcely comprehend to have been possible. Wretchedly did he feel, that with all the cost and care of an anxious and expensive education, he had brought up his daughters without their understanding their first duties, or his being acquainted with their character and temper." The high spirit and strong passions of Mrs. Rushworth especially were made known to him, only in their sad result. She was not to be prevailed on to leave Mr. Crawford. She hoped to marry him, and they continued together till she was obliged to be convinced that such hope was vain, until the disappointment and wretchedness arising from the conviction rendered her temper so bad, and her feelings for him so like hatred, as to make them for a while each other's punishment, and then induce a voluntary separation." She had lived with him to be reproached as the ruin of all his happiness in Fanny, and carried away no better consolation in leaving him than that she had divided them. What can exceed the misery of such a mind in such a situation? Mr. Rushworth had no difficulty in procuring a divorce, and so ended a marriage contracted under such circumstances as to make any better end the effect of good luck, not to be reckoned on. She had despised him, and loved another, and he had been very much aware that it was so. 
the indignities of stupidity and the disappointments of selfish passion can excite little pity his punishment followed his conduct as did a deeper punishment the deeper guilt of his wife he was released from the engagement to be mortified and unhappy till some other pretty girl could attract him into matrimony again and he might set forward on a second and it is to be hoped more prosperous trial of the state if duped to be duped at least with good humour and good luck while she must withdraw with infinitely stronger feelings to a retirement and reproach which could allow no second spring of hope or character where she could be placed became a subject of most melancholy and momentous consultation mrs norris whose attachment seemed to augment with the demerits of her niece would have had her received at home and countenanced by them all sir thomas would not hear of it and mrs norris's anger against fanny was so much the greater from considering her residence there as the motive she persisted in placing his scruples to her account though sir thomas very solemnly assured her that there had been no young woman in question had there been no young person of either sex belonging to him to be endangered by the society or hurt by the character of mrs rushworth he would never have offered so great an insult to the neighbourhood as to expect it to notice her as a daughter he hoped a penitent one she should be protected by him and secured in every comfort and supported by every encouragement to do right which their relative situations admitted but farther than that he would not go maria had destroyed her own character and he would not by a vain attempt to restore what never could be restored be affording his sanction to vice or in seeking to lessen its disgrace be anywise accessory to introducing such misery in another man's family as he had known himself henry crawford ruined by early independence and bad domestic example indulged in the freaks of a cold-blooded vanity a little too long once it had by an opening undesigned and unmerited led him into the way of happiness could he have been satisfied with the conquest of one amiable woman's affections could he have found sufficient exultation in overcoming the reluctance in working himself into the esteem and tenderness of fanny price there would have been every probability of success and felicity for him his affection had already done something her influence over him had already given him some influence over her would he have deserved more there can be no doubt that more would have been obtained especially when that marriage had taken place which would have given him the assistance of her conscience in subduing her first inclination and brought them very often together would he have persevered and uprightly fanny must have been his reward and a reward very voluntarily bestowed within a reasonable period from edmund's marrying mary had he done as he intended and as he knew he ought by going down to everingham after his return from portsmouth he might have been deciding his own happy destiny but he was pressed to stay for mrs fraser's party his staying was made of flattering consequence and he was to meet mrs rushworth there curiosity and vanity were both engaged and the temptation of immediate pleasure was too strong for a mind unused to make any sacrifice to write he resolved to defer his norfolk journey resolved that writing should answer the purpose of it or that its purpose was unimportant and stayed he saw mrs rushworth was received by her with a coldness which ought to have been repulsive and have established apparent indifference between them forever but he was mortified he could not bear to be thrown off by the woman whose smiles had been so wholly at his command he must exert himself to subdue so proud a display of resentment it was anger on fanny's account he must get the better of it and make mrs rushworth maria bertram again in her treatment of himself in this spirit he began the attack 
and by animated perseverance had soon re-established the sort of familiar intercourse of gallantry of flirtation which bounded his views but in triumphing over the discretion which though beginning in anger might have saved them both he had put himself in the power of feelings on her side more strong than he had supposed she loved him there was no withdrawing attentions avowedly dear to her he was entangled by his own vanity with as little excuse of love as possible and without the smallest inconstancy of mind towards her cousin to keep fanny and the bertrams from a knowledge of what was passing became his first object secrecy could not have been more desirable for mrs rushworth's credit than he felt it for his own when he returned from richmond he would have been glad to see mrs rushworth no more all that followed was the result of her imprudence and he went off with her at last because he could not help it regretting fanny even at the moment but regretting her infinitely more when all the bustle of the intrigue was over and a very few months had taught him by the force of contrast to place a yet higher value on the sweetness of her temper the purity of her mind and the excellence of her principles that punishment the public punishment of disgrace should in a just measure attend his share of the offence is we know not one of the barriers which society gives to virtue in this world the penalty is less equal than could be wished but without presuming to look forward to a juster appointment hereafter we may fairly consider a man of sense like henry crawford to be providing for himself no small portion of vexation and regret vexation that must rise sometimes to self-reproach and regret to wretchedness in having so requited hospitality so injured family peace so forfeited his best most estimable and endeared acquaintance and so lost the woman whom he had rationally as well as passionately loved end of section seventeen recording by amanda friday